morning, Sun Valley. Good to see you all. I uh, struggled with how to, how to start my sermon this morning because I don't want to alarm you, but it's a good illustration, so I'm going to say it anyways, okay? Which you've gotten used to by now, but um, about four weeks ago, I had a, a heart monitor installed in my, underneath the skin in my chest, and I'm okay, okay? So that's going to be, my times are in God's hands and everything else there, but my, I think I'm okay. But there's, I was having some heart irregularities, so they wanted to see what's going on, and I have to wear this thing for, I don't know, ask Dr. Whittlesey, um, <laughs> but um, for a while. And uh, anyways, it's, it's here monitoring my, my heart, and I have an app that I can watch what's going on in my heart. My cardiologist has access to my heart from a distance. Technology is amazing. Anyways, I'm wearing that right now, and uh, I don't know if wearing it, it's inside me right now. So, but uh, what would you think about being able to have an app on your phone that monitored your soul? How would you like that? If we could invent that. <laughs> this, this app, you just click on it and it tells you how you're doing spiritually. You know, it's like it tells you your love for Christ, the depth of your interest in his word, your connection to the body of Christ, and it looks like I'm doing okay, you know, or me. <laughs> I don't like that app. Delete. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, th this is what this text is here in front of us this morning. It's a spiritual app to give you an idea to help you examine the condition of your soul. And I think that was the purpose behind Jesus' parable here. To help his listeners examine the condition of their soul, their heart. And so I want to unpack this text here before you today and help you see how this simple parable that Jesus taught to farmers is extremely helpful in our spiritual life. So first of all, the teaching of the parable. I want to recall, or help you recall, that back in Mark chapter 1, verses 22, or 21 and 22, Mark emphasized the profundity of Jesus' teaching ministry. Remember that? The, the people were responding wonderfully. They, they, they never heard such teaching before. They are flocking around him because Jesus could teach. Well, and then, we continue in the book of Mark, and he only records two sermons <laughs> of Jesus. He, he makes a big deal about Jesus' teaching ministry, and then only gives us two chances to listen to it. This is one of them. So to quote Jesus, listen. <laughs> okay? We listen. And this is what we have in front of us. And I think this is almost, not almost, it is intentional by Mark to help you focus on these two. It's here in Mark 4, and then another time, Jesus, he records Jesus' sermon in Mark 13. So listen, you who have ears, listen to what Jesus says this morning. The, the analogy here of the seed sowing that Jesus used was perfect for his audience. This was an agrarian culture, um, and Jesus being the master teacher that he was, 
knew that, knew his audience well. He knew what they did day in and day out was farm. And so they were all familiar with the challenges of farming. They, they were all familiar with the types of soil that Jesus referred to here in this parable. They knew how farmers sowed their seed by holding a, a sack of seed on one side of their body and using the other hand to cast it out over the ground. And in that process, they knew that ultimately some of that seed would fall on places that weren't expected to produce crops, like these soils. He mentions four of them here in this um, parable. I want you to look with me at verses 1 through 9 and, and notice the four different types of soils. The, the first is the hard soil. You notice there, and birds came and devoured it because it didn't penetrate the dirt, so it was laying there available for birds. And, and Jesus said that this, this is the type of soil that, that every farmer encounters. They all knew this. They all had this kind of soil in their farms because in Jesus' day, the farms were surrounded by paths that people would walk from one town to another. And these farmers themselves would use these paths to take carts or animals from one side of their farm to the other. These were hard paths that everybody knew that seeds wouldn't penetrate. And because of that, the seeds sitting there, birds would eventually find them and pick them up and eat them. This is what the first soil was. Secondly, Jesus said in his parable, he, he referred to this rocky soil. The soil wasn't very good because it was full of rocks just below the surface. Um, most fields had places that had this type of soil in them in the Galilee area. The soil was shallow and the rocks would allow the seeds only to uh, germinate so deeply and no, with no root system when the weather heated up in the later summer and the rain stopped, these crops would wither and die because they had no root. It was rocky soil. And then the third soil that the seed fell among was weedy soil or thorny soil. This ground looked good initially. It looked like it might bear fruit or bear a crop. And so the farmer didn't know, but up came weeds with the crop. And eventually the weeds choked out the good crop so there was no produce. That was the third kind of soil. And then fourthly, finally, there was this good soil Jesus refers to. In verse 8, and, and other seeds fell into the good soil. And this particular ground was soft and moist and fertile. It had been tilled. that This ground was not hard and dry. It, it, it was not infested with rock or weeds. It was, it was ready for the seed, and it took the seed well and produced a crop. And, and because the seed took root, it, it's, it's, Jesus said that it grew and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. That would have been shocking to these farmers. They were used to six, eight, and 10%. Jesus is 30, 60, and 100 fold. And so that alone was crazy returns for them. But interestingly, when Jesus taught this parable, he didn't explain it. He just taught it and walked away. And it's like, hmm, it's like me saying to you, hey, I've got a parable for you. It snows and the snow melts and runs down the mountain into the river and creeks and out to the ocean. You'd go, hmm, hmm, okay. There you go, there's my teaching for the day. These people are going, and? <laughs> we know all this about the soils. We know this about seeds and birds and rocks. And? 
Put yourself in their shoes. What's the point, Jesus? Well, let's, let's move to verses 10 through 13 and, and look at the reason Jesus stopped short of explaining the parable to these farmers. Why, did, first of all, did, did Jesus use parables to teach? And it's common, right? You, you can't get anywhere in the Gospels and not hear Jesus using parables to teach. This is how he taught. <laughs> the power of preaching with parables is evident all over the Gospels. Storytelling has always been a powerful method of teaching or preaching. Um, the, the, it seems like the, the preachers who become well-known, even in our culture, are, are those who can handle a story, right? We like those preachers because they keep our minds engaged. Well, Jesus was the master teacher, and he was a parable guy. So Jesus used parables to teach truth that would, would stick in the brain. Parables were powerful method because parables that Jesus used attached everyday scenarios, everyday events and objects to spiritual truth that cemented that truth into the brain. They would never forget it. And so the first thing that we hear from Jesus here as he begins to explain the parables in verses 10 through 13 is that this parable, in fact, all parables were intended to separate those who believed from those who didn't. Those who believed from those who didn't. This was a general principle in all of Jesus' parable use. It was, a, it was means of separating the people who believed and those who didn't. And the religious leaders of the day, of course, that we've just got through talking about here in the book of Mark, and we encounter these religious leaders all over the gospel records. What's, what's known about them? They were hard-hearted people, right? They really rejected Christ and his teaching, his ministry completely. And their hearts reflected the soil that was hard, rocky, and full of weeds. Interestingly, the meaning of Jesus' parable would only be discernible to those whose hearts were receptive. The judgment of God was that the hearts of those who rejected Jesus and his teaching were hardened and their ears would be closed. That was God's judgment. They weren't going to understand no matter what. That was the judgment of God. And so as we get to verse 10, we see that once this confused crowd dissipated and there were only a few people left with Jesus, they began asking Jesus what his parables meant, as you would, as I would. And you would say, so what? Tell us about, <laughs> we know all about the farms and the seeds and all, what, so what? Well, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 10, it records the disciples asking this particular question. What do these parables mean? The disciples were asking them. Why do you speak in parables? Why don't you just make it clear? So the disciples themselves were somewhat confused by the stories. They weren't sure how to interpret them. Jesus said there were, there were two reasons that he taught these parables. First of all, to conceal the truth from hard-hearted people. All right? The first reason was to conceal truth from hard-hearted people. Secondly, to reveal truth to those who believed. I want to unpack that for you. You may not get it right from my first statement, but that seems, you'll see, completely backwards. When Jesus used parables, those who believed were able to understand the spiritual truth that was contained in the parable. So let me, let me jump forward to our day, 2,000 years later, and ask you, do you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ? And if so, why? 
Are you that much more intelligent than the person next to you or your neighbor or your coworker? You're really that much? Oh, so you understand the gospel because you're so smart. Is that what you would say? I don't think any of us would say that. We understand the gospel because of the grace of God on our, on our minds and hearts, right? Yeah. This is one of the reasons for the parables. This is what Jesus called here. And look at verse 11. A, a mystery, a secret. To you has been given the mystery, the secret of the kingdom of God. This, this word mystery comes from the Greek word mysterion. This word secret is actually mysterion. And the Apostle Paul addresses this word or uses this word often as he's explaining the kingdom of God, the gospel. Um, he says this mystery has been revealed to us in these last days. What is the mystery? It's Christ in you, he says. It's, it's being included in as an heir of the family of God. It's, it's all the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. This is the mystery that we're included in this process. And here Jesus says, to you has been given this mystery. You understand the secret of the kingdom, those who believe. And so this, this is reflected here in the teaching about the soils. If you understand the gospel, it's because God has given you an understanding about the gospel. If you understand the parable of the soils, it's because God has given you an understanding of the parable of the soils. The concerning element here is that with increasing unbelief comes increasing hardness of heart. Think about this for a second. Open your spiritual app for a moment. This is why Jesus here in Mark chapter 3, verse 28 and 29 that we discussed last week, warned those present to be careful to not persist in unbelief. Pretty soon you won't understand any spiritual matters is what Jesus is saying. Listen to this, Jesus' comments from John 8, addressing this same issue. John 8, 47, this is from the Net Bible, N-E-T. The one who belongs to God, listen to this. This is absolutely backwards, but these are Jesus' words, so they're correct. The one who belongs to God listens and responds to God's word. You don't listen and respond because you don't belong to God. Hold on. Wait a minute. I don't respond to God because I don't belong to him? Well, how do, I, how do I respond to him if I don't belong to him? There's the question. In other words, you must believe in order to understand. We would sit here and say, no, you've got to understand before you can believe. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you must commit to believing in him, then you'll understand. It's backwards, isn't it? This seems backwards, but it highlights the necessity of faith when it comes to Christ Jesus. You won't be able to fully explain God or his revelation. There must be an element of faith in your embrace of Jesus Christ. If you think that you must wait to embrace Jesus until after you have every spiritual question answered, you'll never embrace Jesus. Did you hear that? If you think that you must wait until you have all the spiritual questions answered before you embrace Christ, you'll never embrace him because you'll never get all the answers. 
Friends, listen, Jesus is saying here that you must believe in the simple message that Jesus is God and believe in his person and work are the only things that can save your soul and address your personal chaos, then spiritual understanding will come. Then you'll begin to grow. In essence, Jesus was mysteriously saying that the condition of one's heart determines the, his receptivity to truth. The condition of your heart, Sun Valley Church people, determines your receptivity to truth. If you are constantly rejecting truth that's given to you over and over again, it reveals the condition of your heart. There's your spiritual app. And then, of course, he says, those who reject the truth will ultimately lose the bit they have. The spiritual principle here has, of course, parallels in life. And I'm going to share a few with you so you can connect the dots here. If we fail to exercise a certain muscle for some reason, you've had surgery or whatever, and you can't exercise a muscle because your arm's in a sling, your leg's in a cast, whatever, what happens to those muscles? The atrophy, right? You can't use them. Uh, it's the same way here. This is the same thing Jesus is saying. It's the same with the mind. If we fail to use our mind, it becomes less and less valuable. And so when God confronts us with truth, but, but we reject that or don't respond to it positively as we should, we begin to lose that ability to engage truth. This is a spiritual principle. This is a serious warning to those who sit under the preaching and teaching of God's word week after week after week. Be careful how much you reject the truth. Be careful. If we repeatedly hear God's word and refuse to respond to it, there will come a time when we become so hard-hearted that we'll lose the ability to respond. If you hear the truth of Scripture on Sunday morning, it is a really good idea to respond to it immediately. It's a really bad idea to reject it or to ignore it or to forget it as soon as you possibly can. This is why in my closing prayers often I ask that the Lord will remind you of the things after you walk out the door so that you will apply the things of the Spirit immediately and not ignore them, not reject them. Because the minute you start doing that, the minute you forget everything that you've heard, your heart grows another layer of callous. And so Jesus is asking us to look at our spiritual app. How are we doing here? The second reason Jesus used, par Jesus used parables was to encourage close attention. When you hear a story, someone explaining a story, a preacher or a teacher or an author, you pay close attention because it's interesting. And you, th you figure they're telling a story for a reason, right? You pay attention. And then Jesus, of course, to <laughs> encourage close attention, says right off the bat, listen, <laughs> listen to me, verse 3. And then look what he said at the end of verse 9. He who has ears, let him hear. Listen. Listen up. You know, if you've been in sports in any context and you're part of a team, this is common. You'll hear this common. Listen up, team, right? Listen up. Gather around. Listen up. Mm, coach is going to say something important here. You know, 
Go run some laps. Oh, you know. So, so, so Jesus begins here to address the second purpose of parables. Listen. Pay attention. Everyone here, Jesus is saying, needs to examine the soil of their life to see whether or not they fall into Jesus' parable. Where do I fall here? A sensitive heart, a hungry heart, a hungry mind and heart for truth are important elements for spiritual understanding. In Matthew 5, Jesus said that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed, happy are those who hunger and thirst for these things. There's a message in this parable for everyone, for the Christian, for the non-Christian, for the believer, for the unbeliever. For the believer, besides spreading the, the, the gospel of, of the kingdom, besides spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone, regardless of who we meet, because we don't know the soils of people's hearts, besides that, um, we, we need to, of course, trust God for the growth, but we must examine our own hearts here and check our own receptivity to God's truth. Do I regularly respond positively to the challenges from the teaching of Scripture? Or do I regularly walk away and ignore them? What is it? Where are you? Do you believe that you're receptive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit? Do you ever experience the promptings of the Holy Spirit? For the non-Christian, this parable also has obvious import. Do I have interest in spiritual things? Do I know my spiritual condition? Do I realize that my heart is hard? So, are our hearts receptive to the seed of God's word when it comes? Is your heart, personally? Do I receive it with joy when it's preached, when it's taught? What is the condition of my soul? Look at verse 10 for some help, for if you're not sure. It says, and when he was alone, those around him and with the 12 asked him about the parables. It's a really good idea to be around Christ. If you're desiring a deeper relationship with God, a, a deeper knowledge of spiritual things, and an interest in the person and work of Jesus Christ, here's an idea, be around him. <laughs> Show up where he is. And where is he, pray tell? In his word and in his church. You're in the perfect spot. <laughs> and it says, not just to be around him, but be around him who were with him. Be around the twelve. How can you be around the Apostle John? Read the Gospel of John. <laughs> Read the epistles. How do, you be, how do you be around like the rest of these guys over here? Their words and teachings are recorded in Scripture. Be around those who are around Christ. You're concerned about your spiritual condition. You're concerned that your spiritual lap is blinking red. Be around those who love Jesus. Show up like these folks did. These weren't the disciples. These were those who were with the disciples. They were interested, but were concerned they weren't getting it. And so they showed up. After the crowds left, after the entertainment was over, these people were still there going, I need more, Jesus. I need more, disciples. Tell me. Tell me more. Is that your heart? 
Let's look at the meaning of the parable, our final point. So the focus of this parable, of course, is not the sower, even though it's called the parable of the sower. It should be called the parable of the soils. Um, Matthew 13, 37 reveals that the, so the sower was Jesus, right? But in Luke and in Mark here, we discover that the sower is anyone who's spreading the word. So the sower could include you and me if we're sharing the gospel with our friends and neighbors, but it's obviously Christ here, right? Um, Jesus' primary emphasis was on the types of soil present. Matthew, in his record, said that the soil represents the hearts of those who hear the gospel preached. The soils, the four options, represent everybody in this room, no matter where you are on the spectrum. From the hard-hearted all the way down to the softened, receptive heart, you're covered in this parable, according to Matthew's record. Jesus' idea was that the gospel message is received differently by everyone who hears it. You can, you can hear the gospel in a crowd, and you hear it one way, and the other person rejects it. The person right next to you. It's, it's a strange spiritual truth. And Jesus, of course, said there's four options. The first was the hard ground. This is what he started explaining when they asked him, what do you mean? In verse 15, he takes time to explain it to these folks who were interested. The ground represents people who hear the gospel message, that is the hard ground, but it doesn't phase them. Why? Because their heart is hard. It bounces off. They have thoughts like, well, that's ridiculous. That makes no sense. Uh, that works for you, but not me. Um, they might even be offended when they hear someone talking about the gospel and their need for forgiveness, their need for Christ. Well, I don't have any needs at all. Have you seen my bank account? Could be a hard-hearted response. C.S. Lewis wrote a very interesting book. It's, the whole book's a parable, really, called Screw Tape Letters. Many of you have read it. It's worth reading. In the book, Lewis describes this, this fictional character who's a demon, actually, named Screwtape. Um, and one of Screwtape's, and, and there's a hierarchy in Lewis's description of uh, the, sat the satanic, demonic world. Screwtape's near the top of this hierarchy, below Satan, but above other demons. And Screwtape's describing one of his demon's experiences on dealing with or making hard-hearted people. Uh, th there was a man in a British museum, screw tape was saying, he was reading and, and his reading started to a train of thought that would set him on a path of spiritual, you know, self-examination. Um, but the screw tape, but the, the screw tape demon intervened by making the man terribly hungry for lunch. So this is what the quote is from Lewis's book. This is the quote from one of screw tape's demons. Once he was in the street, the battle was won. Once I got him out of the museum, out of reading, out of self-contemplation, the battle was won. I showed him a newsboy shouting the midday paper and number 73 bus going past. And before he reached the bottom of the steps, I had got him into an unalterable conviction that whatever odd ideas had come into the man's head when he was shut up with, alone with his books, a healthy dose of real life, by which he meant the bus and the newsboy, was enough to show him that that sort of thing just couldn't be true. Such people's lives are hardened with presuppositions, distortions, prejudices, which rob them of the truth. Satan, 
who we are told in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, blinds the hearts or blinds the spiritual eyes of people, keeps people from embracing the truth, and he does this with distraction. You, if you are trying to follow Christ, have experienced this in your own prayer time, your own Bible reading time. When is the most likely time you're going to be distracted? (laughs) Is it when you're golfing? No. It's when you're reading the scriptures. It's when you're trying to pray for your family or anybody else. That's when the battle is, right? These people who are hard-hearted, represented by the hard soil, may be hostile, but very often they're simply uninterested. It's not they're like they're bad people. Man, I go, well, that guy's got a hard heart. No, it's usually they're just uninterested. It's not for me. I'm glad you're having a good time with church and all, but it's not for me. God's truth has no relevancy for them. What do we do about this if it's us that Jesus is talking about or my child or my neighbor that I love? Well, this has been an ongoing concern all throughout biblical history. It didn't just start here in the Gospels. All the way back in Hosea, chapter 10, verse 12, this is what the prophet Hosea said to hard-hearted Israelites. He says, sow for yourself righteousness Reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground. What's fallow ground? Hard ground. Break it up, for it's time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You've got to somehow break up that hard soil. And then Jeremiah says something very similar, chapter 4, verse 3. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, hard-hearted guys at this point in Israel's history, break up your fallow ground and sow not among the thorns. We've got to figure out how to break up the fallow ground. And Jesus gives us direction here by looking at the other grounds, starting with the stony ground. So if, you, if you're sitting here this morning or you know someone who is, possesses this hard soil of a heart, this hard-hearted condition, you need to understand that God can and does break up fallow ground. He's a master of it. So the stony ground, verses 16 and 17. Look what it says. And these are the ones sown on on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And when they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. This is the second ground. This represents those who seemingly receive the word of God, even with enthusiasm, These are the kinds of people that visit church and often sign up for every possible thing that you can sign up for in the bulletin. They want to be called by the pastor. They want membership application. They want to get baptized. They want to join a small group and want to know where they can serve. We get those things often in this church. And then they hang around for a few weeks or months showing signs of growth growth only to disappear, leaving us wondering where in the world they went. What happened? Here's what happened. Rocky soil happened. The seed was initially received, as Jesus taught, but because of hard, rocky ground just below the surface, the surface seemed pliable, but just below the surface was this hard substance that refused roots. And so these people that didn't grow withered off, drifted off, went away. They say things like, well, that church wasn't friendly. Or I tried church and I tried God and it didn't improve my life. 
Uh, I need something deeper, clearer, happier, lighter, more fun, whatever. And off they go. Then there's the thorny ground. Look at verses 18 and 19. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This is, I think, the greatest danger for us who say we follow Christ, is having the thorns grow up around our love for Christ, our passion for him and his people, to the point where we, we lose focus, we lose interest. This is where your spiritual app will start sending you messages to your attention. This is the seed that's initially received. Um, it seems like it's taken, you know, good root. Um, but like the rocky group, they, they, they last a little bit longer, but like the rocky group, they end up disappearing out the door. Um, as soon as the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth and desire for other things come up. They seem to turn their lives Christward at one point, join the church, even convince us that they know Christ. But then the cares of life start creeping in with busyness of life, comes distractions away from God, away from his word, away from his church. And soon there's no time for spiritual matters and the separation becomes complete. And we wonder, whatever happened to so-and-so? Haven't seen them in a while. We've become pretty good at, at identifying this group also. They start strong, but in small increments drift off and commitments fade. We've seen them. Attendance at small group, for example, disappears first. And then attendance at church becomes fewer and fewer times between. And all these things begin to wane, followed by less availability to serve, followed by less and less giving, until we can't remember the last time we saw them. What happened? The thorny ground happened. <laughs> That's what happened. They grew up, choked out, the word choked out their spiritual interests, the pursuit of the American dream or something of the sort grabbed their attentions to the point where they just couldn't function here anymore. This is what Jesus said in John 8.31 about this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, this is the Jews who had believed in him, past tense, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. Not if you just receive it, not if you take uh, an interesting glance, no. If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples. If you stick around, if you keep on keeping on. What Jesus is describing here, the danger here for us in this room is the distracted heart. This is, this is the condition of the soul that is so dangerous. To those of us who believe that we know Christ. And we have evidence of knowing Christ. I'm here right now. But it's the distracted heart, like the heart of the girl, which a young man once proposed. He said, darling, I want you to know that I love you more than anything else in the world. I want you to marry me. I, I'm not rich. I don't have a yacht or a Rolls Royce like Johnny Jones. But I do love you with all my heart. And she thought for a minute and replied, I love you with all my heart too, honey. Uh, but could you tell me more about Johnny Jones? 
right? <laughs> Distracted heart. And then finally in verse 20, Jesus gets to the good ground. The final soil here, verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. The final soil here represents the converts to Christ who are growing, who are producing fruit. And this soil is noticeably different than the previous three. It seems that they remain stable. They remain connected to Christ and his body. They, even through hardship and disappointment and loss, they are still there. I look out here this morning and I, and I know a lot of stories about you folks. And you're here still. It's evidence of a receptive soil. Even though you've been through all sorts of stuff that may, in fact, most chase people off. But you're still here. Why? Because you have soft soil. These folks, even though their life never gets easier, their commitments continue to grow and grow deeper and stronger with each passing year, each passing trial. Each heartache. They have chaos, just like everybody else in the world, but they have learned to apply Christ to those times of chaos. They've kept on. You've kept on. These learn to be content with what God ordains, what God provides. These bathe themselves more and more in the word of God because they know that's the source of strength. That's the source of hope. They grow to love and need the fellowship of other believers because there is God's means for maintaining a Christian walk is with God's people. Their roots have grown deep and healthy in spite of what we can see, the plant that goes through all sorts of harsh weather, their roots are deep and healthy, and so they survive the storms of life. And with deep and healthy roots comes what? You Yakima Valley people who hang around orchards all the time, what comes with deep and healthy roots? Fruit, right? And this is the result, that, the result that God is looking for. Listen to John, Jesus' words from John 15, verses 8 and 16. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What proves discipleship? Fruit. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And what did I choose you to do? To bear fruit, fruit that would abide. Soft soil produces strong roots, which produces good fruit. And then in verse 5 of chapter 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, whoever abides in me, whoever sticks it out, whoever hangs around, and I in him, he bears much fruit. 
So what is the encouragement here, Christian friend? Keep on keeping on. Don't give up. Don't look back. Keep your hand to the plow. Keep believing that God will fulfill his part of the story. He will cause growth. He will bring about fruit. He will accomplish his, his purposes in you. If you just stick it out. <laughs> Keep on. I have loved this verse ever since I read it the first time. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. <laughs> Aren't you happy about that? Amen. Amen. So, what is your spiritual app saying to you right now? Consider it. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you in this spiritual app? Let's pray. What a wonderful parable, Jesus, you taught to these folks up in Galilee from a boat. Thank you that it was recorded for us so that we could benefit, we could learn to examine our own hearts, gain a deeper understanding of our condition, our spiritual life, our need, our dependency on you. Father, thank you for your son who came with these kinds of parables and stories that's, that stick so clearly in the mind. I ask that your Holy Spirit now would take the truths of your word, penetrate deeply into our soul, and, and cause uh, growth, cause progress, cause fruit. I pray these things in the name of our Savior. Amen.